We are in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 1 to 13. Hebrews chapter 12. Reading from verse 1 to verse 13. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with the endurance, uh, with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God, beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of our father, uh, of the father of our spirits, and, and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peace, harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with you, you uh, with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to come and worship you, uh, to be in your house this morning, Lord, to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I ask that you continue to be the central focus of our, our service here. Lord, that you go with each and every one of our volunteers and our teachers this morning, Lord. Let us hear from you. Let us hear from your spirit through their words. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Hymn number eight in your me. Strong voice. For sure that we are on a race. We are in a fight. We are in a struggle. And it's called life. And life doesn't always turn out to be the way we want it to be. But yet in our text this morning, we find ourselves with great words of encouragement. So I pray that your spirit would have free reign this morning as he takes your word and applies it to our hearts. That we may know and understand that all of that we have is not I, but it's through Christ in me. And to you be that glory, and we will praise you and thank you in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen. 
Thank you. I need to begin by giving you a couple of updates as far as uh, prayer, and then one update that has to deal with the class that us men are going to be going through at the time of Wednesday evening as we gather for Bible study. I sent out a, uh, a prayer request this morning on the prayer chain uh, asking for prayer for Faye Bob. She has her back surgery scheduled for Wednesday this week. Originally, her surgery wasn't scheduled until the beginning of October. And she got a call yesterday from the doctor's office or whatever and saying that someone had canceled out. Could she come this Wednesday? And so this Wednesday, Faye Bob is going to have her back surgery. The same week, Friday, Delbert goes down to the VA hospital and has a hearing device implanted in his uh, head somewhere so that he can hear better, which is really nice because then you don't have to say, hey, Delbert, how you doing? <laughs> and he'll be able to hear you in a more temperamental way, let's put it that way. So Wednesday, Faye, Friday is Delbert's surgery. Also, to give you all an update as far as the men's class for the Wednesday, once Awana starts on Wednesday night, the 13th of September, we are going to delve into doctrine, one of my favorite discussions. Bibliology. Theology, Christology, Angelology, Ecclesiology, Eschatology. It'll take us a year, <laughs> but we'll get through it. And the reason I do that, dear people, is this. There's so many out, uh, unbelievers out there, they're asking questions. And if we don't know what we believe, how can we answer them? I mean, when it comes to saying, well, that's, the Bible is nothing more than written by man. You're right, it is. God used men. So how do we respond to those questions? That's, it's going to be a hands-on experience, gentlemen. We're going to take you into a college course, and we trust it will be beneficial for you. You will come away with a folder full of wonderful notes, at least I look at them that way, and we trust they will be of great help to you. That's going to be the men's class. What the ladies are going to do, I have no clue. If you want to know, you come up to this wonderful young lady, and you ask her, and she'll tell you. But as far as the men, we're going to be doing that. So I need for you to sign up for that, so I know how much to prepare for. Secondly, uh, Gloria Sigafus. Some of you may not know this. I, do, I believe some do. She was in an automobile accident yesterday. She was uh, coming up out of her street in uh, Treverton. She looked both ways. No one was coming. And she pulled out and someone was coming. A little bit faster than what they should have been. And they... Uh, virtually ripped off the front of her car. She came away with bruises on her arm. So be in prayer for, for Gloria. That's why she is not here today. 
So be in prayer for, for Gloria and for such things. This is one of the sermons that I need six readers. Who volunteers? Got one, okay? Dane, Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. You'll know when I want you to read that. You just get to it. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Miss Sue, Philippians 1, 30. Philippians 1, 30. That's not the time, it's Philippians 1, 30. Okay, Philippians 1, 30. Who else? Okay, uh, Alex, Colossians 2, 1. Stephanie, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Two more. Oh, the Bible teacher, wonderful. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. One more. Who's over here? In the back. Oh, okay, Jana. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. And you will know when it's your time. When it's your time, I want you to stand and read extensively so people can hear. The rest of you turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're once again find ourselves in the book and the study of the book of Hebrews. But now we're going to focus on chapter 12 and especially the portion that scripture was read previously this morning. Before we begin, though, I want to comment on some interesting individuals that I found in research in order to introduce this particular passage. Down in Washington, D.C., there are a group, or there is a group, of soldiers who are committed to one goal and one agenda. These soldiers are the ones who guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. The select group are known as the Sentinels, and they are each a member of the 3rd Infantry Regiment of the United States Army, referred to as the Old Guard. This elite group of guards are are comprised of soldiers, both male and female, from all other branches of the United States military. Soldiers volunteer for duty, but that does not guarantee they are chosen. The Sentinel training program is rigorous and time-consuming. For one to be part of this program, they must commit to memory scores of information. They are to be able to tell you, if you would ask them, where such and such a person is buried. This row, this number in, that's where you'll find the person. Not only are they committed to scores of information, but they have to satisfy physical requirements. They must all be a certain height. They they must all be, if you will, a physique-looking individual, not like Pastor Doug, but someone better, that their uniform, as they were told, as it hangs on a hanger, it must also be the same on the person. 
Not only that, but they commit to a year to a year and a half of duty, whereby their shift compromises of a 24-hour shift, and they sleep and they stay underneath the tomb, not in barracks, but sleeping on cots. And their days off are still for study and preparation. We're told, at least in my research, that they are bestowed, if you will, a badge that is the least given badge to anyone in the armed services. It's called the badge of the honor guard. But they have a creed, and they must memorize that creed. And the creed, if I may read it for you, it says this. My dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted. And the responsibility bestowed upon me, never will I falter. And with dignity and perseverance, my standard will remain perfection. Through the years of diligence and praise and discomfort of the elements, I will walk my tour in humble reverence to the best of my ability. It is he who commands the respect I protect, his bravery that makes us so proud. Surrounded by well-meaning crowds by day, alone in the thoughtful peace of night, this soldier will in honor glory rest under my eternal vigilance. When I was researching and reading that creed, when you think about it, our walk of faith is about the same thing. It is protecting the name of Jesus Christ, who's not in the tomb, by the way. He's risen and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And if that doesn't get you excited, someone needs to plug in 220. That's what we are to be about. I love this line that says, in my responsibility bestowed on me, never will I falter. And in our study of the book of Hebrews, we have found, at least in our investigation, that there were some who were under great distress, wondering if it was worth it all. Is following Jesus worth it all? And of course, the writer of Hebrews shouts from the glory, yes, he is still worthy because he's not in the tomb. He's in glory where one day we will be. Throughout our study, and it's capsulized a little bit last week as we finished chapter 11, the chapter of faith. That's why chapter 12 begins with the wonderful phrase, Therefore, seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And we've got Abraham, Sarah, Jacob. We, 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 we've got Moses. We've got the number of voices and a number of faces that we've had the privilege of looking at. 
And it's all for the purpose of encouraging us to continue on in this race. Well, if you have not yet figured it out, more than ever, we as believers, we need to be reminded that when we enter this Christian life through faith, we don't enter a, a, a playground. We enter a battlefield, a battlefield. In fact, the Apostle Paul describes it well. Ephesians chapter 6. As Paul said in Ephesians, the writer of Hebrews says the exact same thing. We are in a race. Now what is interesting about that race is this. Is that race, that word that's translated race for us in this text, also can be used for, to describe a struggle or a fight. It is a struggle. If you... Realize that when you come into knowing and understanding the Lord Jesus Christ, every day doesn't end up being rose-colored glasses and in a field of tip-throw through the tulips. There are struggles. There are battles. Why? We just know because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities that we cannot see against forces of darkness that have bent on destroying us. And yet that word race is found in different places of the scriptures to have exact same meaning using a different word. The first one we find in Philippians 1 and verse 30. Miss Susan. There's the struggle, the conflict, the race. The next one is also used in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. Miss Alex. A suffer. It's a battle. And then one more as Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12. Conflict. It's a race. And it's not a sprint, by the way. I know you all can't tell, but when I was a freshman, I weighed 98 pounds. My right leg weighs that now. (laughs) 
and I ran high hurdles in track. Have you ever seen a 98-pounder run high hurdles? It's like trying to watch a three-legged dog scratching contest. It just don't seem to fit. Especially if there's a wind that's coming at your face. You're up and you got nothing, and it blows you back. I got cinders in my knee to remind me of how stupid I was <laughs> running high hurdles. I looked at it as being the easiest thing to do, but it wasn't. But it's not a, the race here is not a sprint. It's a lifelong pursuit as long as what you are on this earth. The crowd of witnesses, some of them are not even listed in chapter 11. But we're told that the world was not worthy to have them. Individuals who spent it all because that's all they had to give. Their diligence and their persistence would not allow them not to walk on their tour. They needed to complete it. Not to guard someone who's in a tomb, but to praise the one who has risen from the tomb. That was their chore. That was their call. That was their race. And we are to call the same, dear people. We can't get away from it. And these people in Hebrews were suffering from the persecution. They were suffering from what they thought were lies. They were suffering from what once was friends, now have become enemies. And they wonder, is it worth it all? That's why the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, seeing that we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run our race. But you'll notice in verse 1, there are two things that we are to do. The first thing that we are to do, as it says this, is that we are to set aside anything that will weigh us down. It says in verse 1, let us lay aside every weight, encumbrance, if you will, anything that holds you down from completing your race. A historian once wrote when he said that back in the days of the early Greek games, all of the runners would come in and like flowing robes, wearing jewelry with crowns that they had won before. And prior to their race, as he said, they would strip down to where they're almost running naked. They took off everything that they felt would slow them down. It's the same way if you've seen boxing matches where the individuals come prancing in and they all got this flowering stuff hanging all over. If they're the champion, they have belts that they have on their shoulders. But when they get in the ring to get it going, all of that is put away. For they do not wish to be held down. They do not want anything that is going to prevent them from performing to their best of ability. Now that brings us 
to an interesting question, doesn't it? As we're running our race, you got to wonder, what hindrances do I have? What hindrances do you have that sometimes prevents us from running faithfully? Well, not every hindrance is bad. And in fact, we can, what weighs us down, it could be a friendship. It could be an association. It could be an event. It could be a place. It could be a habit. It could be a pleasure. It could be entertainment. It could be an honor. What is it that weighs us down? That all of a sudden we find our walk of faith being hampered in any way. The writer of Hebrews says that we are to lay that aside. And that's not always easy, is it? Having to tell someone I can no longer be a friend to you. Because of your influence on my life is preventing me from growing in Christ. I I can no longer have this habit because what it is doing is preventing me from accomplishing what Christ has called me to do. And that's not easy because we like those things, don't we? Oh, someone help me shake your head yes. We like those things. We want those things. We crave those things. But the writer of Hebrews says if it's preventing you, if it's slowing you down, if it's hindering you, you've got to get rid of it. It's got to go. You'll notice the second thing. The first part of it, this weighing down or distraction, if you will, may be morally neutral. It's not good. It's not bad. But the second hindrance is this, and the sin that so easily besets us. The sin that so easily besets us. There are volumes written concerning what does that mean. May may I at least comprise them into a finite statement that maybe can help you. You'll notice that it doesn't refer to a sin or sins plural. It says the sin. And when you go through the book of Hebrews, you will continually come across the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief, which caused them to have hardened necks which caused them to want to wander away, which caused them to refuse to go into the promised land that was described for us in the earlier chapters. The sin of unbelief. That takes on a number of of different faces. For instance, it, it may come as a biting fly buzzing around your head, such as... A nagging doubt that just won't stop irritating you. It can come as a dog and nipping at your heels, such as 
a lingering disbelief in the character and fullness of God. It can come to you in some cases like a giant tree that has fallen across the path, which is such as a challenge to your faith so great that it tempts you to abandon the race. Unbelief. Unbelief. In my life, unbelief has hampered me many times. I have questioned God that you can't do that. I can't do that. That's why I had us sing the song where we sang it, where it says, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Some of you are very familiar, though it's not one of our reading passages, but Philippians 4 and verse 13, for I can do all things. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's where it needs to be. That's what these individuals were grasping for. This setting aside of the sin that so easily besets us. We're to set aside the unnecessary distractions and debilitating sin. Instead, we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Chapter 12, verse 1. Let us run our race. But it doesn't stop there. Because now there's a focus, isn't there, in the race? And verse 2, it says, looking unto whom? Whom? Looking unto Jesus. And it describes who he is. He's the author and he's the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, suffered the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. I like to see a show of hands. How many of you in high school ran cross country? Well, only me and Amy, we're the only ones who know what we're talking about. The rest of you just listen. When you're running cross country, you're not running on a track. You're running through woods and fields. And if you don't keep your eyes off of your feet, you will fall. You will fall. You had to keep looking ahead. You had to keep focusing on ahead. You might notice, if you will, those who run marathons, now, you want to talk about some people who don't, they're not all there. <laughs> who in their right mind wants to run 26.2 miles? For what? Lord, have mercy. But when they're running, they don't look at their feet. They look ahead. When soldiers are marching, they don't look at their feet. They look ahead. When the church is moving, we are not to look at our feet. 
We are to look to the one who has called us unto himself. The one who has given us all that we need to accomplish our race for the purpose of glorifying him. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors, for the King of glory is coming in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord strong and mighty. As David wrote for us in one of the majestic psalms of focusing on who Jesus Christ is. The writer of Hebrews says, Focus on Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who with the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What's interesting, you can do with your own study. It's your homework. When you come to that phrase, who for the joy that was sent before him, literally, you know what that means? It means you. It means me. He knew that what he was doing was going to bring life to those who are dead, was going to bring vitality to those who were weak, And that's why, as Pastor Steve read, when you get to verse 13, it talks about feet that are strengthened, arms that are able. Why? It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Why? He has already run the marathon. Christ has already opened heaven's door. He he knows the way. He knows the way there. When we were in cross country, Amy, help me out here. When we were in cross country, usually the opposing team was to take us through the course so we would know. I had some scoundrels when I ran cross country. They made sure they took you through a different path to get you lost. So you never ran your best through the woods. You followed one of their people who was running. Then when you got through, you poured it on. I didn't do too well, but that's okay. That's what you're supposed to do. Well, anyway, why? Jesus Christ is our perfect example. Look beyond the suffering and shame of the cross and setting his hope on the joy that he would be in, uh, with him who sat, he would sit next to the glory of the Father in heaven. That's what Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 has to say. Amen. Thank you. 
Hope drew him onwards and upwards, giving him the endurance needed to persevere through the hostility of sinners. Hope, likewise, when we fix our eyes on him and consider him, we will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus Christ is superior for pressing on. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 where it says that God at sundry times past spoke to us through prophets and angels. He now speaks to us through his son. Why? Because he's superior. We've seen that refrain time and time again, dear people, that Jesus Christ is superior. He is worth marching for. He is worth running for. He is worth serving and following. In fact, when we get to Philippians chapter 3, in verses 7 through 11, Jesus is still our example. Listen to these words that are read for us this morning. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, even having fellowship with his sufferings. That's what makes the race worthwhile. Listen to these other verses too, not to be read, but as Peter, on the first day after Pentecost, he says these words, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put him to death. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5:21, for he, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Writing to the church at Galatia, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And then in Hebrews 5 and verse 8, it reminds us that although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, suffered. If you have not yet come to understand your people, is that the Christian life, the walk of faith, has suffering in it. But our suffering is not what the world has. Time has escaped us. I can't continue on. But I encourage you to go this evening or whatever and begin at verse 3 and read down to verse 13. 
and realize that there are times of discipline. There are times of trials. There are times of tribulation. But we have a Savior who is still worth following. I trust next week we'll be able to finish this particular passage. My goal was to get through uh, Hebrews by the end of August, but guess what? Not going to happen. There's too much here. The first 11 verses were all theology. The last two chapters are practical application. And we can't rush through that to realize that we have a Savior who's still worth following because of the joy you that was set before him, he endured the cross. He knew you before you knew him. And he still would say it was worth it to die for you. Let's pray together. Father, you are glorious. You're wonderful. And in your son we have life. And in the purpose of that life, there's a race to run. It's a conflict. It is a struggle. We are aware of that. But even in the midst of it, as we keep our focus upon Jesus, we realize that he's already finished the race. He just wants us to continue for his praise and for his glory to persevere no matter the weather, to walk no matter who is there or who is not there, with a determination that the one who died for us will not be ashamed, but will be protected and will be proclaimed that Jesus Christ is worthy because his name is wonderful. And in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.